Amen. Westridge, will you take a seat where you are? I'm so happy to be with you today. I cannot believe that it has been before COVID that I've been to share with you and teach you. And I love your church. I love your musicians today. I love uh, the song that we just sang. Uh, That one was written by my friend, David Crowder. I bought Crowder his first guitar. And um, Crowder says in that song, I won't tell you the story, right? But he says, like a lot of you, he says, I'm no stranger to prison. Um, I was preaching on Philippians years ago at my church at Ecclesia. I made the mistake of asking, like, how many of you have spent a night in prison? You w- almost everybody raised their hand. It was unbelievable. Right? You don't have to share, but if you do, the kids are going to be alarmed. They're like, there are a lot of criminals in my church. So it's just part of the journey, right? That we, we got some, there's stories to tell everywhere. I'm, uh, I'm really excited to be with you today, in part uh, because I feel like I have a message that if you're, you'll go there with me, it, it's going to be a gift to you. Um, I I wonder if I could dig into your subconscious today. I wonder if you'd be honest enough to tell me a little bit about how you see God. If you could really, like, dig deep. And what I've learned is I've interviewed people in my church and talked to some Westerners today at the last service, that there are a lot of people that feel like maybe God's angry, like he's got a finger pointed. They maybe see him as an old grumpy man. Anybody here see God sometimes like a referee with a whistle just waiting to blow the whistle when you mess up? Anybody be honest enough to say like, I, I got that view of God and I'm just I, I, ready to call me as soon as I mess things up, right? Uh, or like a judge behind the bench, ready to let me know what I did wrong. And today I want to invite you to at least look at the possibility that the way that you view God might be wrong. When I was growing up, um, I grew up in a family of pastors. So my dad, grandfather, both Baptist pastors. My grandfather was like the old school Baptist, like revivalist kind of pastor. Like there was a lot of yelling when he preached and he loved to preach on hell and sometimes he'd turn up the heat while he preached on hell and you'd feel like maybe you, were, you didn't want to go there, right? And it was, it was scary sometimes. And, and literally as a kid, I think for a while, that persona carried over in the way I saw my grandfather as a person. And it took me a long time to realize he wasn't actually that. And he, he actually was a really different person. And it wasn't probably until I was 15. At 15, I got a hardship license because I had a job. And in my family, we all needed to work. And so they would give you your driver's license early. And I was living with my grandfather that summer, and I was headed off to work, and I don't know why exactly, but the car I spent all of $250 on wouldn't start that morning, right? And, uh, and my grandfather, for the first time in my life that I could ever remember, he had bought a new car. We'd never bought new cars in our family. And he had a new Oldsmobile. It was a 98. Anybody remember those? They were like super long, like longer than a boat. I mean, long. And, and it was beautiful, and he loved that car. And I'll never forget, my car wouldn't start, and I had to be at work, and my grandfather handed me the keys to his new car and said, go to work, right? And I was scared because I thought, I'd, nothing needs to happen to that car. And I was really careful. I drove all the way to work, no problems. I had a good day at work. I was a lifeguard. I did my job. I drove home. I was really careful. And to this day, Westridge, I don't know exactly what happened. But somehow when I got home, I brought the car and the house together. 
And I kid you not, I clipped the faucet on the edge of the house, and so literally there's this dent all the way down the car, and water is spraying out of the house, right? And I I call my grandfather at his office at the church, and I just said, Pop, if you could come home, and if you could find a plumber on the way maybe, like, that'd be great. And I will never forget to this day, right? I'm standing in the driveway, water spraying, cars dented. And I see him coming, and I'm standing, I mean, my hand is just shaking. And I'm just, I'm ready for him to give it to me. And I felt his big paw on the back of my neck. And he leaned in, and he said to me, he said, son, it's okay. It's just a thing. And I thought, well, technically it's two things, the car and the house, right? (laughs) And, but I knew in that moment, that my grandfather loved me more than he loved the car and the house. And and you know what happened for me on that day? I developed a confidence I didn't have before. You know why? Because I knew I was loved. I knew he really actually loved me. And when you know you're actually loved, you, you can actually fail from time to time. In fact, you're going to fail. And when you do fail, you don't beat yourself up in the same way. And so today... We're going to share another really beautiful song. And in it, this is part of the question that we're asking, right? It's in times like these that we learn to think new again, to love differently. And I'm hoping that today is one of those times like these for you and for me, for our Westridge family. So Westridge, that's my hope today is that um, this would be a time uh, that we'd reevaluate some things. And together, you might leave feeling a little lighter or a little different. Um, about this time last year, um, my church was about to do a series. We were doing a series on the voices of women, theologians and people that contributed, maybe you missed. And I ordered books by all kinds of different women I'd never read before. And I was trying to order uh, a bunch of books by my friend Rene Padilla. He's a Latin American theologian. He had a daughter who's also a theologian named Ruth Padilla. I ordered all of her books. I'm not very good at Amazon sometime, and I just order extra stuff, and I ended up getting a book by Elaine Padilla. I don't even know who she is. I just ended up with a book by her, and I thought, I got her book, I ought to read it. And you know what? It was brilliant. And this is the question she asks. She says this. She says, what if we imagine God totally wrong? What, what if all of the things that we imagine that we just talked about, what if all of them are wrong? And I started reading the book, and I, my mind was blown. It was an invitation to see God in a totally new way. And this is what she says. She says, let us inaugurate the age of the God who belly laughs out loud. Now, notice that didn't come up when I asked you earlier what we often think of God. She said, what if God's constantly belly laughing with us, right? In disruptive ways. And let us welcome play. She says, and let us join in a celebration that welcomes the elements of air, fire, water, and the earth, the interconnectivity with all living beings. This is what Elaine Padilla, she says, what if God just delights in our delight? What if God is maybe more like, and if you think about it, this is how we are as parents, right? When, when are you happiest? When your kids are happy? Any parents here that can attest to that? Like, when your kids are doing great, you're, they have this saying, and it's totally true. You're only as happy as your unhappiest child. Right? And literally, it becomes a ceiling on your happiness. And the truth is, when you're a good parent, and just so you know, God's an even better parent than you are. 
So what does God do? God delights when we delight. When we're happy, when we find joy, God loves it. Not, God is not this angry man looking down, pointing his finger, just the opposite. He's laughing and playing and hoping that we'll appreciate all the beautiful and good gifts that he gave us. Decades ago, Tony Campolo wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is a Party, and I think he's right. But the truth is, I grew up in a church that didn't probably believe that, right? In fact, usually, really, the worst thing you could say about somebody, like if somebody said, they go, see that girl? She loves to party. We knew what it meant, right? And it wasn't good. It wasn't good. She loves to party, right? Westridge, what if that's the most spiritual thing you could say about somebody? You go, you see her? She loves to party. What if our kids grew up in a church where they go, no, we're made to celebrate. Life is a celebration. It's an event for joy. That's what God made us for, and it's a beautiful thing. And that we actually start to delight, and then God delights, and then we delight in God's delight, and it just becomes this never-ending circle of really, really beautiful things. So I got a few thoughts for you today. If we were to reimagine God that way, how might life be different? And I got a few things I just want you to think about and maybe use as measurements for you. The church I grew up in, um, you could evaluate your Christianity. If you were a good Christian, uh, you kept the rules, right? You, um, you didn't do, there were certain things you didn't do. My, da- my dad's church growing up, it was um, dip, drink, or chew, or kiss girls who do, or something like that. It was like, there were just, everybody had a different list, but maybe it was, you, this was the stuff you're supposed to do. And you memorized a lot of verses, and if you memorized those verses and you knew a lot of the Bible, that's how you knew you were a good Christian. What if, based on reimagining God, I gave you some new ways to look at whether or not you're a good Christian today? And here's the first one I'd tell you. Eat a lot of great meals and eat them Slowly. What, what if one of the most spiritual things you can do is feast and enjoy? Like every day for me, I get my first taste of coffee. Anybody else have this feeling? And I just go like, ah, it's this moment of like, God must love me. He made coffee, right? And don't you wonder, like, who was the first dude that was like, so I see some beans, Let's roast them, grind them up, and pour hot water over them, right? Who was it that thought of that? And why don't we have a monument to them? Like, I wouldn't have thought of it, but then now that you do it, it's beautiful, right? And you just get up in the morning and you taste your coffee and you're like, God is so good. I'll tell you, if if you really love God, you'll eat great food and you'll eat it slowly. And when you taste it, You'll be reminded, like, wow. Like, just think about it. Why did God make pigs to, like, bacon? Just think about it. Like, it's a beautiful gift. Like, what you just take a bite of bacon and you're like, there's a whole world going on inside my mouth right now, right? It's beautiful what God can do. We went to a restaurant in the West Loop that they, I mean, the bacon was a work of art. And literally, you eat, and you just slow down, and you go, God, this must be beautiful. Or sip your tea, your coffee, your wine, your bourbon, whatever it is that you enjoy, and sip it slowly. You know what's not Christian? Fast food. Like, food wasn't made to be fast. 
Maybe Chick-fil-A is, but other than that, right? Other than that, like, food's not made to be fast. You're not supposed to make it fast or eat it fast. I love being in Argentina and South America because they slow everything down. They cook the meat so slow, you're like, are we going to eat this today or tomorrow? And, and, but when it comes out, it was worth it, right? Every bite. Would you slow down and enjoy all that God's given you? Secondly, this is what she says. Rene Padilla says that God enters into our suffering, for sure. We all know that. But she says this is the difference. And if you're in a season of suffering, this is really important to remember. We're all going to suffer. But Rene Padilla says when we suffer, it's the suffering that's like the suffering of childbirth. It's a suffering that leads to celebration. Right? And so if you're in that season right now, I went through a season where I thought this suffering will never end, but it ended, right? One of the reasons this book came to me at the right time was um, just about a year ago, I went after years of loneliness and hard times. God gave me a woman that has completed me. And one year ago, almost to the day, we got married. In fact, Darren flew down to Texas for it, and it was beautiful. It was a great celebration. And I'll tell you, this is how spiritual it was. You want to know a good wedding? It keeps going, right? And it keeps going. And our kids, I'll tell you, they love God because they stayed with us. It was 3 a.m. and they were still dancing with us, right? We had the dance floor. In fact, at 3 a.m., they decided they wanted to do one more photo at 3.30 in the photo booth. And so, of course, their kids, they always want to do the one where we jump in the air, right? And I can't jump very high anymore, but I tried my best. And when they did, our youngest, Jesse... Uh, she hit Kristen's wine glass, and it poured wine all over her dress, right? And on one level, you were like, oh, this is disaster. And then we decided, you know what? We're going to wear it like a badge of honor because this means you had a real party, right? So you haven't really partied until there's wine on somebody's dress. And at the end of the day, this is one of my favorite keepsakes from our wedding, right? Because it says, we celebrated well. And this is what you need to know. If you're in a season of suffering, It won't last forever. You know what? Jesus talks about it in John 16, and it's true. He says, this is the miracle I've given you. Women, you got it. You know it. In childbirth, where he says, literally, you will go through so much pain, but the joy that happens on the other side of it is so beautiful. And then it literally, the body tells us, like, they release endorphins and hormones and things that happen. And you know what happens? You forget. That's why some of you have four, five, six kids. Because you forgot, you forgot how hard it is, right? And you go back and do it again, you're like, why am I doing this again? Because you forgot. And the truth is, when we're at that point of celebration, we don't even remember the suffering in the same way. It's like a different life. So I want you to hear this today. God delights with you, and he suffers with you, but your suffering will not be the end of the story. Don't forget it. Then thirdly, Elaine Padilla says this. She said, what if we began to understand God as a God that pursues us? That pursues us like you would pursue. Some of you have stories with your spouse. Like you pursued them. You were persistent. You know, my story with my wife, I've been chasing her for 33 years. 33 years. And in high school, um, I was about to be a senior. We went to high school together. And, uh, and I decided my senior year I was going to have a girlfriend. So I did what a logical, about-to-be senior in high school would do. I was a lifeguard that summer. I was sitting on the stand. I made a list of the most beautiful girls in school. 
I had my top 10. And I just thought, I'm going to get back to school. I'm going to work the list and see how far I fall, right? <laughs> and so she was number one on my list. And so she's the first girl I asked out. She was the head cheerleader, but she was also the president of the Future Farmers of America. And I decided I'm going to take her to the fair. I'll take her to the fair. We'll see the animals. I bought her a funnel cake. Then I put her on that ride, the zipper that spins round and round and round. She threw up. The date was over. It took me 33 years to get another date, right? Now, she knows. She knows. I've always thought she's the most beautiful woman. I've been pursuing her. Can, can you imagine, Westridge, that the God that made you has been pursuing you with more passion than that for your whole life? And and Elaine Padilla knew it. The, the great Christian mystics knew it. They knew that God loves us like a lover loves us. And, and if you read the Bible, you, it's written all over the place, right? One of my favorite passages, she references this one, is John 21. And John 21, she says, you want to know how much Jesus loves you? Look at John 21. Jesus reconnects with the disciples after his resurrection. And what does he do? This will tell you. If you want to show somebody you love them, do what Jesus did. Jesus took some bread he got some fresh fish, and he grilled it. Now, he put that fish on the bread, and he folded it up. You know what that is, right? That's a taco. <laughs> Jesus made the disciples fish tacos. Now, you want to show somebody you love them, make them a taco, right? And he had, like, some kind of a mango tahini salsa that he put on it, right? I mean, Jesus has got to be a good chef, right? So Jesus, literally, he makes them a taco, and he feeds them. And then what does he do? He says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Now, I read this, and I've preached on it a hundred times. And I, I preach on it, and I would almost engage it like a therapeutic, like he denied him three times, so he gets to say he loves him three times. But you know what he's doing? He's doing what most of you, if you've got a spouse or a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you, you do this already. There are several responses that people in love have when they say, I love you. And you say, I love you too, or I love you more. But you know what you do often? Kristen and I do it all the time. Say, I love you, and you go, do you? Yeah, I, I do. I love you. Do you really? No, I really do. I love you. Really? Oh, I love, I love you so much. Right? That's how lovers talk to each other. Jesus loves us so much. You know, why do we do it? Why do we do it? Because I want to hear you say it again. When I hear you say, you really love, oh, that sounds good to me. Westridge, Jesus really loves you. Like, really loves you. And today, when we take communion, if you'll hear those words that he says, I made you, and I know, I know, I know you mess up, Right? I gained a pretty good amount of weight for a while. Kristen didn't say it to me out loud until I lost a little bit of it. She said, you were getting a little Buddha-esque right there. Like, you had a little Buddha belly, right? And she, but I loved you anyway, right? It, God knows, like, you got some warts. Like, you're not perfect, but I love you anyway. I still love you. And when you know that God loves you, it changes everything. So if I, if I just try to wrap it up, because I could talk to you about this book forever. And today, by the way, I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to find out by the end of the service if you listen to me. It's not very often I get to do this, but at the end of the service, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to find out if you actually listen to the sermon. If, if I had to summarize it, um, like what, Pastor Chris, what did you really learn from this book? This is what I would tell you. That uptight Christianity, you know what I'm talking about? 
When I say uptight Christianity, they kind of you're like, you can't mess up and you gotta get it right and you gotta believe all the right stuff and being right's really important and you're super uptight about it. Like uptight Christianity doesn't work. You you gotta loosen up. You know, you know what I I describe it as? It's like when an athlete gets what they call the yips. You've heard of the yips, right? Simone Biles got the yips when she was in uh, the last Olympics. She could do all these things, amazing, better than anybody in the world, and all of a sudden she couldn't do the basic things. She got two tenths. Right? I didn't say this in the last service, but I'm going to, and I'm going to make Cubs fans really mad. Any Cubs fans want to get mad at me? We just swept you, guys. The Astros just swept you. We beat you soundly every night. And you know why? I'm going to tell you why my team's better than your team. You want to know? Because it's a baseball thing. It's... My team was having fun. My team was out there, and you watch them in the dugout, and they were laughing and having And the Cubs were like, we got to win. And you try to hit a ball going 100 miles an hour, where you're like, we got to do it, we got to do it, and you won't do it well. You got to loosen up and you got to have fun. And my Astros are better, okay? Let's just acknowledge it. My Astros are better than your Cubs. But whatever it is in baseball and life, if you get the yips and you get all uptight, you won't do it very well. So let's do this together, Westridge. Let's have fun. Let's delight in what God made us. Let's throw some parties. Let's go to Nicaragua and serve the poor and do it in a way that's a blast, that we laugh while we do it. And let's have a fundraiser today, right? Let's have a fundraiser and, and put in, and I dare you to beat me for the bourbon. I've got my tickets in there, and I think I'm going to win it, but apparently a lot of people put them in there too. Let's go out there and let's do some things that are enjoyable. Let's laugh and let's enjoy what God has given us. Could we all agree to do that? Whether you're a Cubs fan or not, are you like that would be a good way to live. So I'm going to say a prayer for you, and then I'm going to come back at the end. You're going to get a test, and I'm going to find out if you actually heard the sermon or not. So God, I just ask you today to bless my brothers and sisters at Westridge. We know that, Lord, you, you made things like bacon, and you made cheese, and you made meat, and great food, and you've, you've given us flavors, and you show off every night with beautiful sunsets, and the ocean is filled with colors and creatures and things we could hardly fathom, and music and melody constantly amazes us, and it lifts our hearts and gives us joy. You've given us babies that smell like heaven. You, you've given us all of these good and beautiful gifts. And Lord, remind us that you're like us as parents. You delight when we delight. May we throw some parties and may others all across greater Chicago land and all across the globe look and say, those Christians at Westridge, they just do it right. They seem to enjoy the life that God's given and they love God and they love people. Lord, may it be so. We pray this prayer together. And we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.